listened to the Drew Marshall show before? George Bush is the Antichrist. Honest to God. You think think George Bush is the Antichrist? Yes. Okay, so George Bush is the Antichrist because he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's fooling people. He's a trickster. Would you vote for George W. Bush? Absolutely. Why? He's the Antichrist. (laughs) I think the guy needs to read his Bible. Would you vote for George W. Bush? Absolutely. I hope he's not the Antichrist because I'm going to vote for the wrong guy. Yeah, I hate when that happens. The Drew Marshall Show, right here on Joy 1250. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Listening to the Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. You wanna be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You wanna be where everybody knows your name. Well known by many for his role on Cheers as the knowledgeable and uh, slightly irritating but very loyal postal worker, Cliff Clavin. John Ratzenberger's voice has also been a constant in such Pixar animations as Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, and his acting and improv skills have landed him a variety of roles in countless television and motion picture productions. Uh, John, by the way, was just eliminated from Dancing with Stars this week, so uh, we're going to find out how he handled being the oldest man on the show, by the way. Please, welcome to the Drew Marshall Show, the one and only, I guess you'd also be known as maybe the Pope of the Catholic Church. I mean, how did that happen? Well, yeah, I keep getting his dry cleaning. (laughs) It's getting annoying. I don't know what to do with those big hats. (laughs) Ratzinger, yeah, Cardinal Ratzinger. Yeah, yeah. You must have taken a lot of ribbing from your friends when, when the Cardinal with a very similar name was made Pope. I mean... No, no, not at all. Come on. No, well, 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 I don't know. It's just too close. It's too scary. And the similarities. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of similarities. You know, we're both brilliant, speak you know, a dozen languages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, look, it's uh, it's been quite a few weeks for you recently. You weren't looking. Yeah, how come you didn't play the, uh, uh, the uh, to Dancing with the Stars? Uh, I actually don't like that show. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't on it for 11 years either. No, Frontiers no. Frontiers is more appropriate. Yeah. And you weren't looking like you were really that disappointed at being eliminated from Dancing no, with the Stars. No, not at the night. No, I, I no, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> okay. It, uh, you know, the dancing part of it was wonderful because it's, you know, it's, every day's a challenge. You got to learn how to dance and properly foxtrot and keep it in frame till first, all that. And I and I enjoy that process because it's. I think our job as inhabitants of the planet is we're supposed to learn things. That's our job here. But it was seven days a week, and uh, for nine weeks, okay, now, fade, okay, uh, I got a life here. <laughs> well, I can't believe that you lost to the king of the mullet. No, me neither. Come on. I know. I, well, you know, I, who knows? I don't know what they do, you know, behind closed doors back there, but... Uh, well, what's with them pitting a bunch of young, fit, good-looking guys against you? Well, you know... <laughs> Sorry. Well, enough, I, how old are you, Drew? I should have reworded that sentence. Oh, no, that's, no, that's okay. That's that's the assumption, but... Uh, it's just I'm, not I'm, fair. I'm, I was the only one, you know, everyone's talking about backstage that didn't have any sore muscles or knee or back problems. Come on. Honest to God. Really? Every, every single one of them complained about knee problems, back problems, 
And I'm standing there saying, what is, what, 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 were they fall off a building when they were kids? Or? <laughs> they weren't wearing those nice, comfortable postal worker shoes for very Well, that's the only make-believe well. land truth. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, I physically, no, I'm on par with uh, any of them as far as strength and endurance. Karate. Yeah, I, it's from the, from the very beginning to right to the, not a sore muscle or achy joint. You're still doing that, aren't you? Karate? From time to time. I go. I do more rowing and uh, mountain biking now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You really are like the Forrest Gump of entertainment, to quote you. In a you. way, yeah. And uh, you've been part of such, I mean, major cultural entertainment uh, phenomena out there. Yep. Let's let's roll through a few of these. Let's, let's start with driving a tractor at Woodstock. What the heck is that all about? Well, I was uh, an itinerant uh, hitchhiking hippie carpenter. Um... <laughs> During those days, right, and uh, ended up in the town of Woodstock, uh, trading off my carpentry skills for room and board and mime lessons of all things. Mime lessons, yeah, mime. A bad mime is a good thing to waste. <laughs> Here you go. I, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I'm known as the world's worst mime. <laughs> and uh, and then the uh, festival came about, which wasn't in Woodstock at all, uh, just about sixty miles away, and uh, I stood in line. And uh, got a job as a tractor driver, and I helped build the stage. Um, one memory, just one Woodstock memory that comes to the... I mean, memory and Woodstock usually don't go in the same sentence, so... All right. Well, no, I was I was sober and straight most of the time because I had to drive a tractor. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, the thing that really occurred to me at Woodstock, and, and it's evident in the film, too, all through Woodstock, everybody on stage was decrying and putting down and protesting the American military. Mm-hmm. You know, get out of Vietnam, military is bad, industrial, military complex, etc., etc., etc. And then when it started to rain, if it wasn't for the military, Woodstock would have been the new Donner Party. Really? People would have been eating each other. <laughs> because the military came in, National Guard, helicopters with food, porta potties, medical equipment, lifting people out, lifting. And uh, if it wasn't for the National Guard, Woodstock would have been a disaster. It would have been a complete... People would have died. Because uh, I'm sitting right there in the middle of it. I'm watching the whole thing go down. Yeah. And the military saved the Woodstock generation. Woodstock generation is, is growing up still angry. Very ironic. Yeah, and I, th- I think really that that's the generation that ruined the world. Wow, that's a heavy statement. Well, I, I, I'll back it up. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying that's a heavy statement. Yeah, I, I really, I really do think that it, um, it's because of just the the, uh, the view of uh, the, the world view, it's, it's foolish. Yeah. Even what they've done to the educational system, it's been taken over by people that grew up in, in the Woodstock world. And um, well, it's re-educating the world based on the values of narcissism. Exactly, it's the it's the uh, you know, center of the universe syndrome. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially when you have uh, theories like uh, you know self-esteem, high self-esteem. It's more important for a child to have high self-esteem than it is for a child to have knowledge. Now that's rampant in the United States. Hmm. So you, now you've got a, one of these young adults in their early twenties have really high self-esteem, but they're knuckleheads. <laughs> oh man, you just nailed it. You just described the culture of saggy crotch kids I see hanging around. Right. Oh, high self-esteem. It's, you know, in, in the States here, you got, uh, you know, Little League. And it used to be you had to try out. If you weren't good enough, you'd hit, hit the road. Yeah. Well, now you show up, 
you get a uniform, you get to play, and you get a trophy. Isn't that nice? Well, but that also does a disservice not only to the child, because the child's not going to be able to handle any kind of an emotional crisis when they're an adult. No. But it doesn't do a great service to the civilization itself. Hmm. Because you, you want people that have had to go through adversity when they were young. Now they're, now they're equipped. You know, now they, now they you know, know how to get a, either get around things or compensate for things. Hmm. If, you're, if you're lousy at baseball, then you need to find another sport or you get good at baseball. Well, now you don't have to do that. You just show up. Right. Well, speaking of rejection, Carrie Fisher, did you ever make a move on her? Did you ever start? Because you had a crush on her, didn't you? Oh, I, yeah, as everybody else did. That, that. <laughs> uh, no, I lived in an abandoned building at the time. Not a nice pad. No, not like, hey, you want to come by and just throw stones at rats. <laughs> you know? Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I think you were around 32 in the spring of 79. Was I? Come on. If you say so. Oh, well, that's what I read somewhere. London, England. Yeah. Good thing they weren't, uh, you know, you weren't part of the outdoor shots in Norway. Uh, I wouldn't have minded that. I did a, a Clint Eastwood film we filmed up in uh, Wyoming, I think. Uh, Firefox? Or Firefox? Oh, yeah, yeah, Firefox, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was... I liked all that. I like the snow. See, I think when people grow up in cold weather, they're intuitively they know how to think ahead because it's just part of your DNA. You yeah. look out the window. What's the weather like? Do I yeah. need to bring boots or antifreeze or firewood or whatever it is? Yeah, I have invited more friends from California, where I used to live, up to this neck of the woods, and they've come up. Speaking of idiots, very, very ill prepared. Sure, flip flops. <laughs> exactly. Skis, yeah. you know the uh, customs officers yeah. down there at Niagara Falls. In July, we'll have, pardon the uh, description here, but ignorant Yanks come with their vehicles and snow skis strapped to the roof, asking where the closest snow is. Yeah, I, I, have to, I, I don't doubt that. I, I, mean, I heard a story of a highway patrolman here in the States who stopped a car from New Mexico and wanted to see the guy's passport. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, it's just, but again, that's the 60s generation to rule the world. That's the educational system. So less emphasis on uh, common sense. They even, they outlawed, uh, not outlawed, but they've canceled shop courses right across the country. So here you have the, you know, everyone's got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. And we forgot that someone's got to build the college. Yeah. So now we're running out of simpleton, bricklayers, electricians, plumbers. Well, thank God for immigration, otherwise nothing get built. Well, that's not even enough. But also the people that come in uh, from the south here, they can't read a blueprint. You know, so you're not going to, you know, put them in a bulldozer and say, okay, you know, plot out this chart here. Yeah. You know, so it's got to be people who are educated. Yeah. But, you know, we've got this false ideal here that everyone's got to go to college. Well, that's great, but you know, we're running out of, simply even like factory workers. Kids graduate from high school uh, here in the States, they can't read a ruler. And again, that's our friends from the 60s. That's the Woodstock generation. You know, these kids have got great high self-esteem, but there's not going to be anybody to uh, uh, populate our factories or just artisans. Yeah. Mm. Bricklayers. Well, I had to make an adjustment uh, to my son, letting me know that he wants to grow up and be a carpenter. He wants to work with wood. And I, I was brainwashed in the mentality of, oh, you sure? I mean, come on, that's really hard work. You know, pick something you don't have to work as hard at. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, are you nuts? And he's right. I am an idiot. Well, is that what you're saying? If, yeah, if you're a parent that, you know, if you've got a kid that wants to work with their hands and, and you know, take care of the infrastructure of civilization and be happy, you know, if the kid's happy, what, what, yeah. why is it a big deal? Let him loose. Let him loose. You kidding? 
he'll be he'll, he'll be making more money than his counterparts that going to college anyway. Yeah. Uh, right now, just you know, certain types of welders get one hundred fifty thousand a year, and it gives, you can't find them. John, I know you're passionate, so I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of your passion in a little bit. Oh, there you go. Hey. But you spent ten years acting in London, and yeah. I, I got to ask you this: Do you think that crafting your skills during the Sal's Meat Market Improv thing yeah. in London, England, made you any different than had you done the typical American actor route? Yes. How? Well, um, it was a do-it-yourself approach. Uh, I had never gone to acting school. Uh, really didn't know uh, anybody who was really in professional acting, and uh, my partner and I. Uh, another Yank, uh, we formed our own improv duo, and we toured Europe for six years, just doing it as we went along. <laughs> we thought we invented the art form. <laughs> we had no idea there was such a thing as Second City or any, any of these other guys floating around. So um, we we developed this, and we became top of the heap. Uh, we were doing standing room only after our second year, everywhere we went, and because we did everything. Um, uh, booked the shows, uh, built the sets, uh, you know, travel. It was, it was more like vaudeville than it was uh, like the American process of going to the Lee Strasberg School. I went to the Lee Strasberg School in New York for two weeks. I just didn't get it. Really? I just didn't get it. Yeah, I, you know, some secret handshake or whatever it was. I, <laughs> Isn't that skull and bones? Yeah, well, there's a lot of them out there, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh so I just uh, just did it myself, and uh, the downside is that when I got to Hollywood, I didn't really have a network of people I could call. You, know, so you, weren't, you weren't connected? No, no, not at all. Uh, but I had uh, gotten hired to write uh, a series for CBS you know, uh, by the end of my 10 years over in London, and you know, I'd done a lot of acting, and then I uh, started writing for the BBC and uh, other networks over there, comedies, and so I got hired to do something over here. Uh, for CBS, and it was during that time that the Cheers um, uh, audition came up. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was during that audition I invented Cliff the Mailman in the audition. And I think if I had gone through the American process of uh, acting, I, I wouldn't have gotten that. No. Because I was just there. I thought, well, I'll just imp improv a, a character that I think could be funny on this type of show. Yeah. And boom. And they didn't ask me to. I just said, hey, do you have a bar no at all? And they said, "What do you mean?" I was actually on my way out the door. Well, you were you were you were originally gone in for the part of Norm. Well, I don't know what didn't you? I, it wasn't called Norm. No, oh. it, was, it was another name. I forget what it was. Large guy drinking beer. Ah, oh, boy, hey, it's, you're talking about 98 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it was. Uh, uh, I was just. A, it wasn't. I don't even think it was even what became Norm. I'm not sure what part it was, but it was a a guy at a bar. Hmm. And uh, and I and I thought you know. Every bar's got to know it all, especially in New England where I come from. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I just improvised that, and they bit, and boom. Nice. So, nice. Do you miss your time over in Britain? I sure do. I'm heading over to Ireland in a couple of weeks. Oh, are you a golfer? Well, I am. I actually got a hole-in-one at St. Andrews a few years ago in Scotland. Don't kid, you have to buy everybody drinks? No, because it was on that large mini putt. Oh, nice. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Living in Britain, was that where you got into playing the snare drum, the pipe bands? And no, no, I did that growing up in Connecticut, Richport, Connecticut. I was in a drum and bugle corps. Gold Coast Pipe Band. Uh, that's uh, the guys I play with now, and uh, also play with the Camden, uh, New Jersey uh, Police Department, Emerald Society, Pipes and Drums. 
But you don't play the pipes, you play the drums. Drums, yeah, sure. Yeah. Someone's got to play the drums. Someone. Well, it's back to that hard-working thing. Yeah, well, that's also, that was the first communications uh, in, in the Army. That's what the pipes and drums were. They right. Were ornamental or ceremonial. That was that was how the generals contacted their battalions and soldiers through the pipes and drums. Yeah, I think they learned that from the engines. Uh, no, they learned that uh, was during the Crusades. <laughs> oh, Okay. I'm trying to. Be... You're talking to the wrong guy I'm... here. Yeah, I know. You know don't, don't show misfacts at me, pal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, well, musical talents. Speaking of musical talents, apparently you sang in a miniseries in Switzerland. Oh yeah, it was the yeah yeah. Um, did a miniseries for Granada Television. What was it called? Small World. I think that was it. Wow. And, uh, was that was that the song? Uh, yeah, you sang? I, I sang. Uh, oh, Valpinciera. <laughs> Excuse me? Valpinciera. It's uh, from uh, the Verdi opera, uh, Nabucco. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you know it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the chorus, it's properly known as the chorus of the Hebrew slaves. Thank you. Any desire to re resurrect that career? What, singing? Yeah. I'll do it all. I, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll build the sets, I'll take the tickets, sing, dance. <laughs> you know, because that's actually the way it is over in England. I mean, that's you, you're, you're expected to do everything. Yeah. And you do. So when you come to Los Angeles and they say, well, you're a voiceover actor. And I always said, what, what are you talking about? I do other things. Or, or you're just a stage actor. And then they say, well, you obviously can't do radio. And I always laughed. I always thought they were kidding. But that's the way they think in, in Hollywood. Spoiled. Well, in England, you're, you're expected to do everything. Yeah. You, know, you, you bring your satchel of, of gifts to work and uh, you're expected to know what you're doing. Who said I would have become a Christian had it not been for the Christians? I like your Jesus, but I'm not too fussed about your Christians. Uh, Snoop Doggy Dog? <laughs> Gandhi. Oh. And I was that was a beautiful segue into how ironic is it that the most constant Pixar voice was apparently dubbed by Martin Sheen. It was because he was probably still in England, yeah. They just didn't want to fly me back to London. Because <laughs> we couldn't do it over the phone back then, you know. No. They had semaphore. That's how they communicated. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. I, I, you know, they were too cheap to fly me back to England because of the Jeep noise over my voice. Yeah. They had to redo it, but I was in Los Angeles at the time. Superman 1 and 2, any, hi yeah. any highlights from that? Uh, Superman 1 and 2, yeah, let's see. What did he say, curl? Girl? Did he say girl? Curl? Uh, yeah, again, no, it's, it's, um... You're always, were you a soldier? Were you an, were you an agent or something in that? Uh, you know what, I'm the most uniformed actor, I think, ever. Every film I did, Ragtime, Bridge Too Far, Yanks, uh, Superman 1, Superman 2, I was always in a uniform. Empire Strikes Back, uniform. Yeah, uh, Cliff on Cheers. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back, yeah, it was Major Derlin. Yeah. I have, there's an action figure. Oh, man. But yeah, Major Brendan Durland. I've got some something around here somewhere. There was some inside joke written on the back of some cards, some Empire Strikes Back cards. Yeah. You go into some space bar and nobody knew your name. Some obscure reference to oh, Cheers. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking, yeah. Of, speaking of Cheers, uh, you used to live in the combat zone, driving your pickup in the late 60s. Yeah, yeah, uh, moving uh, students and the furniture around, yeah. No sleep, because all the sirens. Sirens, uh, busted beer bottles. Yeah. Is that anywhere near the Bull and Finch? No. No. Well, I mean, you, you can walk it, because Boston's a great walking city. Um, no, it was, it was right across from South Station, above a hardware store. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was different. <laughs> That's where you had to learn karate. Well, you, you just, 
no, it's a, you just make sure you're not in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, you know when to go on the streets. You know, it's it's that there's a sense you get. Of yeah. just, you know, because it was so crazy down there. Because it was where all the soldiers and sailors went on leave, and so that's all it was. That's why they called the combat zone. Right. Constant fights. It was just something to behold. Something to behold. John Ratzenberger here on the Drew Marshall Show. Uh, John, is it true that you first came up with the Cliff Clavin style of talking during a rare instance? You forgot a line and just kind of had to fill space? Yeah, during the, uh, <clears throat> it was right at the beginning. Um, I think, let's say, for example, I was supposed to say something to George, or, you know, Norm. And, uh, you know, say it was, so, Normie, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's the weather like? And that was the line, so I would... So, uh, Normie, what's the, uh, what's the weather like? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember the line. And, uh, and the, the audience reaction, I thought, oh, I'm keeping this. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard anybody just nail the Cliff Clavin impersonation? Uh, many have tried. Uh, not to my ear. No. They usually get the accent wrong. I've got a friend. It's about time. <laughs> And he is very, very good at you. Is he there? No, I asked him to come, but he's uh, he's shy. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's, I've I've had some great instances too, and I love when this happens. It's like this happening. I was going for a cab in New York, and a guy was coming the other way, and he stopped. He goes, "I was just imitating you in the computer room." <laughs> <laughs> As though I'm supposed to know what that computer room was. I thought that was really sweet. Cliffy is a combination of which three people from Bridgeport, though. Uh, that'll go to me with my grave because one of them is still living. And oh, you don't, don't think it's someone else. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to you know, say, "Hey, you know, he modeled that character after me." Why not? It's it's uh, it's a phenomenon. <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah, he, he, he truly was, and uh, I just always loved that type of character that uh, a lot of keys hanging from their belt. Yeah, because they're showing the world how much they know. Yes. Like this is how many things I'm responsible for. So look at how many how many things I know. Yeah, and that was a perfect cliff. If you ever meet anyone in an elevator, I don't care where it is, they have a lot of keys hanging from their belt. Ask them a question. Ask them any a question. obscure question. Yep. The length of a whale's intestine. <laughs> uh, you know the capital of you know Arizona. I don't care what it is. Yeah, yeah. They so, will always answer you. Well, it's a little known fact that the Australian dingo. That's right. They will never say I don't know. No. Because I've, I've tried it. I've done it. Uh, anybody with a lot of keys. <laughs> Cliffy showed up in St. Elsewhere, the Tortellis, uh, Wings, the Simpsons, Fraser. Yeah. Any others? I don't know. I I, I, I should keep track of it. No, come on. I'm just, uh, you know, if it was in your head, I'm not expecting you to be that neurotic. No. <laughs> I was at the in, you know, Woodstock, but I, I yeah. distanced myself from that generation as much as I can. All the Pixar animated films. Every single one, yeah. And I think, uh, well, I was told that I, I have more action figures than anyone ever in Hollywood. Wow. Because of the Pixar films. So there'd be like six or seven. And plus the Major Durlman from Empire Strikes Back. One of the funniest things I heard was Jimmy Kimmel's suggestion that now you're going to have a Dancing with Stars action figure. Yeah. yeah. You and Billy Ray Cyrus. But Billy Ray's won't move very well. No. <laughs> and Billy Ray knows it. I mean, he knows he just stands there. He dances like Fonzie. Well, I don't, I don't remember how that was. Yeah, Fonzie just stood still, and the girl danced around him. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's 
it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> yes. Hey, wait a second. He's not dead. <laughs> oh man. Uh, have, have you ever been approached, John, by the Veggie Tail people to to do something with them? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, I, I really uh, uh, like uh, what they do and how they do it. Yeah. But they haven't knocked on your door yet. No, I, I don't expect they, they probably. Uh, they can't afford run, run out of vegetables. They can't afford to run out of vegetables. <laughs> oh, jeez. Are you um, are you in the Disney Pixar 2007 release Ratatouille? Yeah. Sure. That's a perfect fit for someone nicknamed Ratsy. Yeah, Rats, Ratsy. Uh, yeah, I play Mustafa, one of the waiters of the restaurant. Mustafa. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's gonna be a funny one. That's uh, they did a good job on that too. But they do it the old-fashioned way. They they will sit down and work on a script for two three years before they start making the movie. Again, it's back to that doing the hard work first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so much of Hollywood, they say, oh, let's get a couple of stars and. and scribble this idea on a napkin, then yeah. we'll figure it out as we go along. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, um, again, involved in major cultural phenomena over the year, and of course now Dancing with the Stars. And speaking of landing roles in big cultural entertainment phenomena, where in the chronological order of things did Camp Cucamonga fit in? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That was, uh, I guess, early years of Cheers. And had, you know, an agent said, oh, yeah, this is a good one. You do this and uh, but look who I was with is Jennifer Aniston. I know. She, you know what? She is one of the sweetest people ever. Is she? Oh, you know, when I see her, you know, time to time, you know, end up in the same place, same time. Uh, she greets you like uh, you know an old friend, and, and she's warm. She's the best. What was it like working with Candace Cameron Bure? I, I asked her the other day. Do you have any memories of uh, of John? working on that movie, and, and she said, I think John was just trying to avoid all the 12-year-olds. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to get the, the sticky candy on you know, <laughs> uh, my clothes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I when I go to work, I, I see I approach it like I, you know, growing it, up again in a blue-collar town. It's work. You go to work, you do your job, you go home. Yeah. You know, I'm really not there to... Uh, I know I'm, I'm social, you know, say hi to people and whatever. But uh, I pretty much I'll, I'll grab a book, stay in my trailer, read. But you're not as rude as Russell Crowe. I don't know how rude is he. He is so rude. What happened? <laughs> well, I had the privilege of working on the movie Cinderella Man up here in Toronto with him, and um, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Um, what's okay. the What's the difference, John, between uh, being lucky or being blessed? Because you look over your career and something's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's being blessed. Uh, you know, being lucky is, you know, when you step to the left and, you know, a, a flower pot misses your head by inches. <laughs> well, wow, I was lucky. Uh, but being blessed of, in, your, in your life and, you know, given good health, uh, you know, being surrounded by loved ones, you know, at special times, uh, that's being blessed. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, being lucky is, you know, yeah, I think there is a difference. I think, you know, being lucky is, Cheapens the, the idea of being blessed. Right. Well, folks, we are the higher power, as we all know. Well, yes, of course, and God. yes, and we will get to that God, God stuff in in a little bit. Actually, that might be a nice segue now. Again, talking with John Ratzenberger. A few months ago, John, you hosted Ted Bear's Faith and Values Movie Guide Awards. Uh-huh. What's your take uh, of the whole Christian versus Hollywood phenomenon? I mean, there there seems to finally be some sort of an integration 
between these two seemingly polar opposite worldviews with stuff like Fox Faith and and even as Dean Jones told me recently uh, with the Disney folks bringing in some changes to finally help stop Walt from rolling over in his grave so much. Yeah, he was spinning around there. Uh, Pretty good RPMs. John Lasseter was announced as head of Disney Animation. That's when Walt Disney stopped spinning in his grave. Right. And uh, so, you know, things are, uh, it's good to, probably a good time to buy Disney stock. Because it's, uh, you know, yeah, they're getting back to, uh, the, the, not necessarily Christian values, but just common sense. Yeah. See, people in Hollywood, again, it comes from the 60s. Let me go back to there. It's this narcissistic view that their worldview should be everybody's worldview. They don't check in on everybody else and say, what is your worldview? They say, well, this is our worldview, so therefore everyone else has got to think like us. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, in, in my book, uh, one of the first chapters, I talk about a fellow I went to, uh, uh, one of the, the big studios, talked to him about doing a story centered at a truck stop. And he didn't know what a truck stop was. Oh, come on. No. And because he'd grown up in Los Angeles, the only time he uh, you know, crossed the, the United States was in a plane. Um, and he's never been to the United States. Um, and But here he was in charge of development uh, for this big uh, network. And he it was a head-scratcher for him. He said, well, that's just like a diner, isn't it? So I explained to him what a truck And he said, wow, these are, they're all over the place? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and then he said, wow, nobody knows about them. I said, pal, I said, everybody outside your area code knows about them. Yeah. And uh, but that's the, that's a very typical Hollywood story. This guy's whole life was a flyover. Yeah. Oh well, that's 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 very common here. It's very very common. So the disparity between uh, the civilization's views in Hollywood is is great because they really. You look at Saturday morning cartoons now. I don't know which ones you get up there, but you'll find that '60s philosophy embedded in the, in kids' cartoons because they know you got to get them young. I give like patriotism, for instance. Simple patriotism it used to be, you know, people be proud to fly the flag and take their kids to parades. But even after 9-11, a lot of these people, you know, there was controversy of whether journalists should wear the American flag on their lapels. These are the very journalists that owe their freedom of the press to the soldiers, but yet they distance themselves from our own troops. Hmm. You know, back in World War II, you pick up any newspaper or magazine, and, and the troops were addressed as we or our boys, or our troops. Not them. Not them. Now it's the American troops and the Iraqi insurgents. Uh, as though we have no connection with these people. Hmm. But the press has done that. Again, that's a 60s thing that comes out of the Woodstock generation. So, so the same thing, the concept of God. Uh, that, you know, it's, we're all, you know, pick whatever God you want. You know, a stone could be a God, a rock could be a God. Hmm. Well, that's what was going on, you know, before King Alfred in Britain eating each other, you know, and then, you know, the, uh, the one God concept, Christianity spread through Britain, and that ended all because finally he was a, a God who ruled by kindness and not out of brutality, and so you've got the 60s thing slipping into the foundation chippers, they just chip away at the foundation of what civilization is, because civilization started with, well, it was really the Ten Commandments, you know, and uh, Western civilization, I should say. Yeah. Chip away at it as though it's not important, you know. Like they're, it's, it's, and they make fun of everything that built the nation or built our civilization. They just try to decry it and chip away at it. Well, growing up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 
industrial town, blue collar, and you've had a variety of jobs. Uh, let's, see, let's, let's see if I've got the, a few of these right. Uh, An apprentice blacksmith in northern Vermont. Uh-huh. A deckhand on an oyster boat off the coast of New England. Yeah. Assistant to a tree surgeon in England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, was, I was the assistant. I mean, I'm the one who climbed the trees. Right. Yeah, I was the person Go. 80 foot high with a chainsaw <laughs> because I was the assistant. He was, he was down there cashing checks. Yeah. But this is where the passion for the Nuts, Bolts, and Thingamajigs Foundation comes from. Yes, because everything we do, everything we are, depends on an infrastructure. It depends on someone you know, putting a nut onto a bolt. Really, that's what we depend on. Uh, we, and we don't give it much thought. So, in my show that I do, uh, John Ratzenberger's Made in America, I travel all over the country visiting different factories. And the one thing that stood out was that the age of factory workers is getting higher and higher, and when they retire, there's nobody to replace them. And uh, and then when you extrapolate that out of its effect on civilization, uh, that's it. And we're going to be working for somebody else. You know, this is a good time to promote our first talkback segment of the day. Folks, after we're finished chatting with John Ratzenberger, we are going to open up the phone lines and give you the opportunity to have some free advertising on our show if you are going to hire a student this summer. So I want you to wow, that's wonderful. I want you to please consider hiring a student this summer. I want you to give us a call uh, when we're finished here with John and, and tell us about the jobs you have for students, and we'll give you the opportunity to tell everyone about your business. I mean, they need to pay for another year of, of education, and you need to hire a student. So let's let's work that one out. Uh, John, did it surprise you that it took a conservative Republican? <laughs> I can never say that word. It just it chokes in my throat. What's well, a conservative Republican? Yeah, it's just <clears throat> you know. To invest in your invention of a biodegradable packaging material to replace those styrofoam peanuts, and all your Hollywood enlightened environmentalist tree huggers took a pass on it. They took a pass, yeah. I uh, put all my uh, own resources into building this company, and uh, what it is is uh, it's that you see it in gift baskets all the time. It's used for packaging all over the place now. Uh, it's a strip of paper that's accordionized, it's a stringy little strip of paper. Well, that's me. That was my company. And uh, at the beginnings of it, uh, after I said, oh, well, the checkbooks get kind of light, uh, I went to my Hollywood friends who are all over the environmental stuff and I said, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, invest in my company and prove a product and this, that, and the other thing. You just need some marketing money and this. And they pretty much laughed at me. They just thought you were doing a cliffy. Yeah, pretty much. I said, oh, well, just like Cliff. And, uh, yeah, it was a Republican conservative businessman from Ohio said, this is a great product. And he's the reason that that is replacing styrofoam worldwide. It's not because of Hollywood liberals. Uh, it's because of a conservative businessman who could see, you know, that this is a great product. And uh, and that's the reason. So it, it was a big shift for me, thinking, oh, wait a minute. Nobody's really uh, uh, walking the talk. And then this guy comes out of nowhere, uh, in the opposite side of the political, you know, spectrum, and save the world, or at least it helps eliminate styrofoam. Your book here, We've Got It Made in America, you really do cover a lot of territory. A common man's salute to an uncommon country. Uh-huh. A tremendous read, uh, available on Amazon.com and all of your good bookstores anywhere. We've Got It Made in America by John Ratzenberger. 
you even talk a little bit about your personal life, and I, I'm, I know you're private about your personal life, so I, I mean, feel free to tell me to get lost if I go down a road you don't want to go. Oh, I will. <laughs> but tell us, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Catholic upbringing. I mean, you're in, it was Catholic, kind of the yeah. New England area, right? So. Yeah, sure. Uh, Catholic upbringing, and um, uh, one of the greatest uh, impacts was um, when I was six. I was supposed to die. I, I was in the hospital and. Uh, you know, oxygen tents and tubes and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, uh, opened my eyes in the hospital, but I remember everyone, you know, mother, father, sister, grandmother, everybody standing around the bed weeping. <laughs> and I said to my mother, why is everybody crying? And, uh, well, we found out later that that's because they were waiting for me to go. And because the doctors had said, that's it, there's nothing we can do. And my mother had been a miraculous medal. It's a... a Catholic uh, medal that we hang around our necks of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and she prayed to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and uh, so it was, it was a miracle, you know, <laughs> according to my mother and everybody else in the family. Who, who am I to say that it wasn't? Sure. When all the doctors at the time said, "Now this kid's going to check out," uh, so that that's it was kind of like the bedrock of of my faith and the you know belief that you know there is certainly a God, and. Uh, in times of my life, I mean, I, you know, have been in situations where I thought it was it. I thought it was all over. Uh, was the oyster uh, boat job, I uh, was out at sea it was in the winter, and a situation occurred. I should have died, and I didn't. Um, a rooftop situation, repairing a roof in England, uh, something happened. And a motorcycle crash I had five years ago. Wow. Uh, 80 miles an hour on a highway. And, uh, you know, again, the doctors around the bed saying, nobody survives a crash like you. So I always, you know, a strong belief in, in God and thinking this, there's a reason that uh, being kept around here. This is not a mistake. Well, he obviously has... I don't has know his... what the reason is. No, but, I mean, he obviously has his hand on your life. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, there's, there's, there's simply not a question of that. Earlier you were mentioning how, you know, this sort of hippie generation thing has led us into, and, and even in, in the old days... Over in uh, in Europe, into into worshiping rocks or trees or you know sticks, yeah. sticks and things like that. So now we look at religion in North America, and, and pluralism is certainly where it's at. Well, uh, yeah, the crystals. And, uh, yeah. Sure, sure. So which which causes a huge uh, ecological disaster in the state of Arkansas, by the way. <laughs> and that's what these knuckleheads don't get. I mean, the demand for crystals causes an ecological disaster in Arkansas, where they get the crystals from. Because these farmers are they're strip mining these wonderful hills just to get at the crystals to sell to the Unbelievable. who want to you know save the earth. But being a Hollywood guy and living in North American pluralism, and yet being a spiritual guy, how have you maintained the Jesus focus? Well, uh, again, I go to work, do my job, and uh, I go home, and uh, I don't, I can't say I've ever lost a job because of my beliefs, uh, you know, and when I hear people, you know, talking on sets and things like that. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation uh, with somebody on the set, another uh, uh, actor, who said, where, where do your kids go to school? And I said, it's a, it's a Christian-based school. It's a Christ-based school. And so I, I gave the name. And they kind of like, drew back like, ugh. You know, <laughs> it's no I were Beelzebub. Uh, <laughs> so I said, well, you know, you know, Christian and all that stuff. I said, well, what religion do you, you know, bring your kids up? And you bring your kids up with a belief system. And this one gal said, 
said, uh, oh, no, I'm going to, you know, let them decide when they're, you know, 2021. Yeah. And I said, but they'll have nothing to decide for or against. You'll, you'll have given them nothing, and if you, uh, you know, if you believe in nothing, then you believe in anything, uh, whatever comes down the pike, and Scientology, and, you know, you go down the list of all the cults, because so many 60s parents said, oh, no, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, organized religion is bad. Well, organized religion is civilization. I mean, if you go back, I've always been a history buff, but really it was the Ten Commandments. And, I mean, you skip ahead to the Magna Carta and hmm. you know, on and on and on, but it's, he looked, these are the rules, folks. There's, you know, you have to answer to, uh, uh, you know, to these rules. So, uh, but they don't get it. So it goes back to, you know, it's when these kids grow up not believing in anything, it's got to be harder for them, too. Uh, even last night, there was something uh, on the news here, an eight-year-old kid uh, who got killed. And luckily, it was a, a Christ-based school or a religious-based school. Uh, and the teacher was able to say, well, you know, so-and-so is in heaven now. And I thought, well, isn't that great? That's good for those kids because it helps them through that crisis. Sure. Just the belief that there is a heaven. Yeah. You know, as a child. And it makes it much, much easier to cope with crisis. Um, but so many people don't anymore, and and I I, I thought there should be a study uh, done with you know, find out that the day that they outlawed the mention or or the ability to pray in public schools in America, and then when the shooting started, there seems to be a correlation. I think so because you're not answerable to anyone or anything. John, was there a time, like a definitive moment, when you owned your own spirituality as opposed to living off your parents? I mean, was there a moment you can look back on and say, that was my initial point of surrender? Well, I think it was more gradual for me. Yeah? Yeah. Um, but jolts, uh, certainly jolts, of, of like this rooftop incident. Uh, I was sliding off a roof I was repairing. It was a slate roof. Right. Stories up. And, uh, and I was sliding off of it. And I knew that was it. It's done. It's over. And uh, a, a buckle in the top of my overalls caught on the only nail that was sticking up. Come on. Yeah. And uh, it was already sticking up like a quarter inch. But it's, my buckle caught on it. So God, God saved your life through a wedgie. Well, yeah, there you go. Well, I was able to, t- to get my claw hammer then and dig it into the roof and pull myself up. But my ankles were actually hanging over the rain gutter. Oh, my goodness. I was gone. That was it. And uh, so you can't explain things like that. No. That's, that's more than the lottery and getting hit by lightning. And uh, But that's happened to me probably seven or eight times, different situations. Man, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, sure. So those are the, those are the jolts I get yeah. from time to time. John, on um, on Jimmy Kimmel, you talked about your fiancé, Lindsay. I mean, obviously, this is your second marriage. Uh, yeah. And Amy Grant told me about the amount of garbage people put her through because they knew her as a Christian, but yet here she was getting divorced. As a matter of fact, we had more people upset with us, or upset with me, because I was interviewing Amy Grant because uh-huh. she was divorced than when I interviewed the high priest from the Wiccan Church of Canada. Oh, no kidding. Isn't that, that's just crazy. So, I mean, what advice would you give to any Christians listening who might be going through a divorce themselves? Um, get married uh, for the right reasons uh, the first time. Right. And uh, and uh, go through counseling before you get married. That, that, that'd be, um, you know, go to, go to someone whose opinion you trust, your, you know, pastor, priest, uh, whoever it is. Yeah. 
But make sure you're both on the same page. 20 years is a long time. Yeah. Yeah, my wife and I are right around that mark. And, uh, I, you know, I honestly think that God has, like, it wasn't me, because I haven't gone into the whole these marriage enrichment stuff, or I really haven't worked at it too hard. I just haven't quit, which is a main thing there. But God has, God has just seemed to give me a, I don't know, like a new love for my wife. Uh, it's tough. It is, I mean, there's a reason one in two marriages are in the toilet. Yeah, yeah, there sure is. And it's sad. It's a very, very sad thing, especially with, with children involved. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, my kids and I, we've always been close. As a matter of fact, when I hang up from you, I'm going to go to the movies with my son. Um, and we're working on an uh, old boat that we own. Uh, we we finishing this old wood boat we have. Nice. And uh, yeah, so you know, my daughter was uh, going to school in New England in September. So mm-hmm. I'm happy about that because it gives me an excuse to get an apartment back there. <laughs> Good. So. John, uh, final question. And again, I, I appreciate your time. It's been tremendous to. Uh, find out a little bit more about you and your heart and your guts and, and your journey. When you found out about your child having juvenile diabetes, was it James or Nina? James. Okay. What impact did that have on you? I mean, like, did it affect your spiritual life in any way or, or change the way you were as a dad? Well, um, it's for anybody who's gone through it, any child that's diagnosed, uh, the earth opens up and just swallows you whole. And there's, you just, it's devastating. It's just devastating. And then you find the strength uh, through God to pull yourself back up. And, okay, now, well, you know, why Why is this, uh, you know, been set in our direction? And what are we going to do about it? And so uh, we've just been working really hard all these years to raise money to find a cure. And uh, he's doing great. I mean, he's a big, strong guy. And he's takes care of himself real well, smart as a whip. Hmm. Um, so, guy, yeah, Dean's was fifth grade, you know, he's just a smart guy. Um, he's 19 now, but, uh, yeah, so you just do what you can do. As a matter of fact, uh, two, the last two days, we're in, uh, uh, part of a, uh, for Lee Iacocca, raising money for his uh, uh, charity uh, for diabetes research. And uh, so that's what we do. Being from the New England area, are you familiar with Team Hoyt? No. Rick and Dick Hoyt, uh, uh, the father, uh, Dick Hoyt, is uh, in his 60s, and his son is in his 40s, and his son is a quadriplegic, and they do marathons and triathlons together. And this father pushes his son in the wheelchair for the running race. For the bicycle race, uh, he, he has sort of a capsule that goes on the front of the bike. Right. And then for the swimming part, his son floats in a dinghy as the father swims along and tows him. And inspirational. I mean, you know, when a family is faced with, with a challenge and you rise up and, and God gives you the strength, and it, I think it changes you as a parent when you're faced with something like juvenile diabetes. Yeah, you know, my son actually said the other day, when he was talking about diabetes, he said, well, well, Dad, you know, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle. Wow. Uh, that was my son. From a 19-year-old? Yeah. <sighs> this kid's got something, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's an inspiration to me. Both my kids are. John, I, uh, thank you. And again, folks, uh, John's book, you gotta, you got to get it. We've got a made in America. A common co- man salute to an uncommon country, yeah. You can uh, uh, go to ratzenberger.com and, and find ways to get it there. But also, can I uh, give out the, the website, Drew, of uh, nutsandboltsfoundation.org? 
nutsandboltsfoundation.org, which can also be linked to at ratsenberger.com. Correct, correct. And uh, do you, people in Chicago hear you? They do through the Internet. Oh, okay. We're live, we're live in the Toronto area, and we're streamed, well, streamed live uh, around the world. Fifty countries listening, John. No kidding. That's right. Boy, it's a good thing you didn't tell me that in the beginning. I would have gotten nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. God bless you. I don't say that a lot, but I really, I mean, it's obvious God has already got his hand in your life, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how much more he blesses you in the future, John. Drew, thank you. I hope we get to uh, to meet and uh, greet one day. I appreciate it, John. Take care, mate. Okay, kiddo. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. John Ratzenberger on the Drew Marshall Show. Cliff Clavin, what a day for me, folks. Never thought I'd get a, a chance to speak with the man. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.